0: Hello, my name is Ed Palmer, and welcome to episode two of Communication in the Raw, the IOIC podcast. The purpose of this pod is to bring you insights and observations from internal communication industry leaders, and we promise never to shy away from difficult questions. And at the moment, unfortunately, there are plenty of those. Our guest on this episode is Bola Gibson. Bola is Head of Inclusion and CSR at Osborne-Clark, the international law firm, and will be discussing both good and bad examples of d that she's experienced. Plus, whether our sector, internal comms, has a problem with diversity and inclusion. And we might not like the answer. Over to you, Dom and Jen.
1: Lovely, thank you. Hi, I'm Jennifer Sproul, Chief Executive of the Institute of Internal Communication,
0: Hello,
2: and I'm Dominic Walters. I'm on the governance group for the Institute, former national chairman, and I'm a communication consultant specialising in leadership communication.
1: We're delighted to be joined today by Bola Gibson, who is head of inclusion and corporate responsibility for the international legal practice firm Osborne and Clark. Good morning. Good morning, Bola.
2: Hello, Bola. Can I start with a big question? Um, What does an inclusive organisation look and feel like?
3: Oh, that is that. That is a really good question. I mean, I think um, the first thing inclusive organizations is really around um, a place where you can just go and be yourself. We hear this quite a lot. And I guess people think, well, what does that mean? <laughs> Surely you're always yourself unless, you know, for various reasons, you may not be. And I think it's something about this kind of nagging feeling that uh, if you are in the mon- minority, this nagging feeling that you need to fit in um and some people might have heard of the term self-editing you know we might joke about it so for example dom i don't know what your telephone voice sounds like but you know people may put on their telephone voice or they may change their hairstyle or you know there, there are lots of things little kind of micro behaviors that we might need to do in order to kind of fit in if you're in an organization that isn't inclusive you're having to do that all the time if you're in an organization where you can't find someone who looks like you, for example, understands your experiences and and why you may do some of the things you do or why you may not do some of the things that everyone else does. You know, that takes a lot of emotional energy. So, I mean, I think in in answer to your your question, um, inclusive organisations are more about feelings rather than looks. But it's about the people in those organisations feeling as though they can be their authentic self.
1: That's great, Bronwyn. That's a really great way of looking at it as well. It is—it's a feeling, isn't it? And I love that point of self-editing and feeling like we see ourselves in the organisations. But why do so many organisations then find it being
3: inclusive such a challenge? Yeah, and I think it's probably fair to say that most organisations don't go out there thinking, you know, what? I think, I think, I think I should build an exclusive organisation. You know, like, it's not a conscious thing and. I I say this sometimes, you know, I do feel a bit sorry for organizations, because they are trying really hard to be inclusive, because they they don't understand what being exclusive is about. And the reason I think they don't fully understand it is because, you know, human nature and human behavior has been developed over, over centuries, to keep us safe, right, to keep us in groups that we're familiar with. And so when you start building something, you tend to build something with people in your circle, you tend to build something with people that you're comfortable with, that you're familiar with. And a lot of those kind of mechanisms are what make it hard to mix with others. So one of the big challenges I think a lot of organisations face is the simple challenge of representation. So because a lot of these things have organically grown um, in small pockets in their own image, (laughs) you tend to find organisations where you don't have a large number of minorities. You don't have um, a large number of women, for example, or um, ethnic minorities. And then one of the things that people don't realise, I think, is that some of the processes, no matter how well-meaning they might be, just serve to perpetuate the status quo there's a useful example and we we talk about this idea of going down the pub um, because it's something that you do right but actually it's not something that everyone does so if you're one of those people who don't go to the pub whether that's for religious reasons or actually it might be that you have a caring responsibility so you can't stay after work most nights um, and so you do have to go home well you might go to the pub because it's a thing that we do And someone has a chat and says, oh, well, you know, I did this great project or I've been working with this client. And you're talking to someone who potentially is quite influential in the business. And then the next time that they're they're about to dole out a juicy piece of work, they're thinking, oh, yeah, I remember that chat down the pub with so-and-so. They did this great piece of work and then they they might get the next bit of juicy work. And and then that might lead to the next promotion and so on. So you can see how something as really simple as, you know, we're just going to go down the pub. Can potentially be exclusive and then have a knock-on effect on people's careers so i think it's really difficult because you're talking about kind of natural human behavior and and then these kind of processes so i do think it's a real challenge to ask organizations to just overnight turn around and be inclusive because it takes some real conscious effort to change some of the, the mechanisms that, that that exist and that we've built up over the years
2: so but picking up on that, it'd be interesting to know if there's a gap between what organisations say about their inclusivity and what things are like internally. And, and and you've already suggested ways in which that gap may happen, even if organisations have the best of intentions. But because now often there is a gap and, and where it exists, how we can use internal communication to to address it?
3: Is there a gap? So I think if you said yes to that to that question, you'd almost be assuming that Communicators are being disingenuous with you know with what they're communicating, and I don't believe that's the case, and I don't think communicators go out with the intention of being inauthentic. I think there are some communicators who are brilliant at um, pulling out some of the great news stories um, and being able to I guess present what an organization is doing in such a way that it may seem more glowing than those inside the organisation may feel it is. So, for example, um, if we think about the Black Lives Matter protests at the beginning of the year, Adidas came out with a statement um, and a commitment. And actually one of their own employees decided to start protesting during her lunchtimes because she felt that there was a huge mismatch between what Adidas was saying and what she felt they hadn't been doing all these years. Um, So she didn't trust them ultimately, and she decided to take action. That's a a huge gap. But I think the majority of communicators probably try to get it right, try to get the balance right, try to to caveat what they're saying by, by being able to kind of articulate the challenges around building inclusive cultures. And I think what we probably need to do as listeners to that is uh, think of think of inclusion less as a destination, and I guess, as, and more as a journey. And as communicators, I think there are a couple of things that, that communicators can do. The biggest thing I think that they can do is almost seat themselves in the, in the company's inclusion strategy. And I think you'll find that uh, there's a danger, I think, with with uh, communications that you you only get kind of brought in at the time when the communication needs to be made, rather than the time when people are talking about the strategy. That's how you close the gap, is that you close the gap in your understanding of what exactly this organise, your organization is doing. Do you want to look back now a little bit of the last six months? And obviously
1: we've been through a lot with with the pandemic, but also obviously you've mentioned previously about Black Lives Matter and the inclusion agenda and what's happening in that space. So I'd be interested to in know from you, what have been in the last six months your biggest successes in this space and have you had any missteps or regrets?
3: Oh, I try not to do regrets, even when it comes to cake, which has been a big topic of discussion for me this week. Um, in terms of successes, and actually, this isn't a success that I can claim. I've only been enrolled for um, two or three months. and We've just kicked off Black History Month, actually, within the organization with um, uh, a fantastic array of events. And we've picked a theme of time to act because a lot of people, I think, during the Black Lives Matter protest and resurgence um, uh, over the summer kind of said, oh, but I want to know what to do. So that's really exciting. We've created a calendar of things, you know, little things that people can do every every single day to kind of build their knowledge and understanding and their action. But the thing that I would kind of point to, you know, we're all at home, uh, generally speaking, most of us are, are at home. And so it's been quite difficult to to figure out how you create those spaces where people can talk and share their experiences and, and listen to each other. The BAME engagement group within Osborne Clark uh, put on an engagement week. And these were a series of sessions that the whole business was uh, invited to. And there were over 150 people dining into each of these sessions. This need to create a space where where people could kind of process uh, what was happening in terms of the, the protests and um, the killing of George Floyd and the other racial injustices that were being brought to the fore. But this week was very specific to the firm. It was very much about what does what does our recruitment look like? What does our engagement look like? How do how do our, our partners, the owners of the business, you know, how do they understand what the challenges are? And I think those types of interventions um, and and ways and spaces um, for communication become incredibly important when you're dealing with inclusion, because let's face it, it is an uncomfortable place for most people to be. I'm a black female and I find that, you know, I have to kind of go, right, I'm going to have a conversation about being a black female right now and and, and whether or not there are challenges or opportunities that, that come as a result of that people get very uncomfortable because they don't want to be seen as um, being a bigot or being a racist, etc. But actually, if, as communicators, we can create the environment and create the spaces that encourage these conversations. And I think that that um, is a huge success when you have people kind of saying, I didn't know that. What can I do? And that's ultimately what you want to get to.
2: Can I pick up on that about... Um the internal communication profession. I I know that you work alongside communicators, but it'd be great to get your take on how inclusive, how diverse you think the internal communication profession is and what impact that has on its effectiveness to achieve that environment you've talked about.
3: So if I think about the teams that I've worked with and I've worked very closely with um, internal comms teams, and I think of the, the makeup of those teams, All of the teams that I've worked with have been predominantly female, so probably 90% female, I would say. Um, Exclusively white. No, I lie. I think there was one non-white person I worked with in internal comms. Relatively young as well. I think the other spectrum to think about is probably um, class and disability in terms of visible disabilities, none invisible disabilities I'm not too sure Um, and class probably a a real mix but predominantly I would say middle class that alone I think makes it very very challenging for collective teams to really think about their effectiveness when it comes to and and the role that they play when it comes to inclusion within an organization Um, just Tuesday actually I was talking to a team of communicators about why they need to get closer to their diversity and inclusion teams why actually it's so important that they they seat themselves in the in, in the organization's challenges and their strategy to to overcome those challenges because individually we are all coming to the table with a perspective and that perspective is formed by our experiences and the interactions that we have. If you do sit and look around your table and go, what's a variety of experience that we have around this table? You do run the risk that you have limited experiences around the table. And so you do have to go and actively seek those other voices. One of the things that was a big bugbear of mine was that every Ramadan, for years, you know, what I would see, and the thing that I would always kind of notice coming out of internal comms was an article from someone who was about to observe Ramadan and why it was important to them how else can you bring the importance of this to life how else can you help people understand actually why it's important for them to understand about Ramadan and I think you know these are the things that it becomes harder to 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 do and to think about if you don't have diverse voices around the table
2: and it certainly seems, from what you said there, that as a, as communicators, we need to get out and speak to people. Well, and it's not oh, quite as simple as that.
3: Well, well, to be fair, actually, it is as simple as that.
2: Okay, okay, <laughs> good.
3: <laughs> get out and speak to people, and and it, most of all, I think is fi- try to find those experiences that help raise your awareness and understanding. Um, because we should all be learning all the time. I'm constantly learning. You know, as a as a DNI professional, I'm constantly trying to to learn about others and to, to put myself in their shoes. And hopefully that makes me more effective at my job. And I think that's the same for internal comms professionals. You know, the reason, the reason why you have um, business partnering, for example, in comms is so that you can really seep yourself into that business area, really understand what those challenges are so you can help them communicate the issues um, and the opportunities. So it's, it's no different for a subject matter like, like, like inclusion.
1: You're in D&I and obviously we're here as the Institute of Internal Communication. At IOIC, we want to encourage more diversity into our profession, but also, you know, we hope that we're encouraging more people into the D&I profession. So from your experience, why should someone starting out choose a career, whether that's in internal comms or in D&I? Mm.
3: Well, I think in, in internal comms, I mean, I would say I was thinking about this and one word came to mind, which made me laugh. And I was thinking, well, you would you would choose it for power, surely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what is it? What's the saying? He who holds the pen wields the sword or something yes, like that.
2: I yes, that. Uh,
3: something, yeah, <laughs> so, something like that. No, but, but I think the more voices that we can get into the internal comms profession, considering that, you know, you guys are shaping the narrative in some way. Being the voice of the people, being able to challenge organisations and organisational thinking about, well, you know, if I do this, how will it land? In many ways, internal comms are like the, the mirror to the soul. And so I do think that that brings a lot of power. And there's there's a huge amount of variety that comes with that kind of role. Comms are on the cutting edge often. You know, we're constantly looking at how we innovate because human behavior is constantly evolving. The the tools that we have to work with is con- constantly evolving. So I think it's an incredibly exciting sphere. And I always say, you know, when I whenever I get into an organization, you know, I really want to get close to the comms guys. I really want to get close because I know how important um, and and powerful that that team can be in shaping the narrative of the organization. And, and I guess that the second bit of that, in terms of getting involved in, in diversity and inclusion. I absolutely love my job. Again, this is about being able to shape organisations and institutions for the better and to improve those individual experiences of of people within the (laughs) organisations. Why wouldn't you choose a career in either of those fields?
1: Well, that was brilliant. There's some fantastic insights, thoughts and perspectives. Thank you so much for giving your time today.
3: Thank you guys for having me.
0: Huge thanks to Bola Gibson of Osborne Clark for those insights. Clearly, creating truly diverse and inclusive organisations is going to take further thought and new practices, not least within the internal communications sector. So that's episode two of Internal Communication in the Raw. If you'd like to get in touch with us about any of the issues that were raised in the pod to suggest other topics you'd like to hear discussed or to find out more about the IOIC, please email Jen at jennifer.com at ioic.org.uk. Thanks for listening. See you next time.